0: He says you lost the King's colours. The fault was not mine, sir. Major Lennox must answer. Major Lennox answer with his life, as you should have done if you had any sense of honour. The infantry colours of regiments of the British Army are incredibly important, perhaps even the reason why the British Army has always been one of the best in the world. But what is their significance, and why, for centuries now, have men gone to extraordinary lengths to defend them, performing amazing feats of courage and bravery? In today's podcast episode we're going to be answering all of those questions. If you like what you hear then please subscribe, leave a comment, share it with friends and family as it's really good if we can get this podcast to grow. Let's face it, British military history, especially of the Napoleonic and Victorian eras is largely forgotten and overlooked these days so let's work really hard to try and keep it in the limelight. A moth-eaten rag on a worm-eaten pole, it does not look likely to stir a man's soul. "'Tis the deeds that were done, neath for moth-eaten rag, when the pole was a staff and the rag was a flag." So said Lieutenant-General Sir Edward Hamley when viewing the former colours of the 43rd Monmouthshire Regiment. But what is he talking about? What exactly are colours? At their most basic level, they're flags belonging to the regiment, to the battalion. But their significance goes much beyond that. The use of standards and banners in warfare goes back to antiquity. They'd be used as a rallying point for soldiers and a means of identification on the battlefield. For example, if you're commanding an army in the field, you want to be able to look and see where your regiments are, see which one is which. They often served another purpose, which was to identify whichever Lord or royal figure had raised the regiment. This was particularly true once units started to be raised under contract. By the 16th century, regiments often had a colour for every company. But in 1743, this changed when King George II issued a royal warrant that each regiment was to have only two colours. There would be the royal colour, called the king's or queen's colour, depending on who was the monarch at the time. That was the national flag with the emblem of the regiment, its name and number emblazoned across the middle. The second was known as the regimental colour. This tended to match the colours of the regimental uniform facings. Logos and insignia were placed upon them and over time battle honours would be added to the colours denoting where the regiment had served with distinction. Colours were about identity, about pride and about honour in your regiment. They've always been proudly displayed as the regiment paraded in peacetime or marched to war. Over the years the honour of these regimental colours has become a big part of regimental esprit de corps. The history that goes into them is amazing. The fact that a soldier in 2023 can look at his unit's regimental colours and see all of those battle honours listed. Of course, there's also a religious significance to the colours. They're consecrated at a ceremony and given God's blessing. Therefore, the three powerful elements of God, King and Country are embedded in them. And let's not forget, the colours have always had a very practical purpose, one of which I alluded to earlier, which was to be a rallying point if the regiment was looking like it was beginning to waver in action. For example, at the Battle of Talavera, covered on this channel, when the 7th Regiment of Foot, the Royal Fusiliers, started to fail under attack from the French, their colonel, Sir William Myers, leapt from his horse, seized one of his colours and, brandishing it before them, cried, Come on, Fusiliers! This rallied their defence and helped to change the battle. And colors aren't an easy thing to wield. They're big and gainly things. They're two feet square. And for people like me who grew up with uh, metric, that's 1.8 meters square. So they're really big and wieldy things. Usually young ensigns were assigned to carry them in an infantry regiment, and reports exist of them being blown off their feet when the wind caught the colors full on. The color party not only had the honor of carrying the color, but were responsible for its defense, paying for it with their lives when necessary. And as you can imagine, to lose the colour in battle was an absolute disgrace. A man who loses the King's colours loses the King's friendship. They'd been given by your monarch, they'd been sanctified by God. You could not let the enemy get their hands on them. Because of this, defence of the colours became a very important part of any battle. One of the best known defences took place at the Battle of Albuera in May 1811 during the Peninsula War, well covered again on this channel when the 3rd Regiment of Foot, better known as the Buffs, were surrounded by French Cavalry. As the survivors rallied around the colour party, they were called upon to surrender their colours. The 16-year-old Ensign Edward Thomas, defending the regimental colour, refused. He was later cut down and the colour was taken from him. Thankfully, for the honour of the regiment, they were recovered later in the day. Nearby, the King's colour was also in jeopardy. Ensign Walsh was killed and Lieutenant Matthew Latham picked it up and defended it heroically from French Cavalry. During this, one side of his face, including his nose, was hacked off by a sabre. His left arm was severed by another blow. Yet he hung on desperately to the colour, swinging it wildly. Eventually, he was overwhelmed, but he managed to save the colour by removing it from the pole and concealing it under his uniform. Despite the severity of his wounds, he survived the battle and was rescued later in the day alongside the colours. Remarkably, especially for the time, Latham continued on active service, despite only having one arm and horrific facial injuries. The officers of the regiment recognized his bravery by subscribing hundred pounds, which is over 6,000 pounds in 2023, and to present him with a gold medal bearing the depiction of his defense. Very well deserved. It's so over 200 years later, and we're still talking about that deed. I think that tells you everything about it and about him. Here, take the bloody thing. I don't want it, take it. Some men revelled in the honour of defending the colours, others were not so keen. Sergeant William Lawrence of the 40th Foot remembered being tasked with escorting the colours on the afternoon of the Battle of Waterloo. He later wrote, This, although I was used to warfare as much as any, was a job I did not like at all. But still I went as boldly to work as I could, There had been before me that day 14 sergeants already killed and wounded while in charge of those colours with officers in proportion and the staff and colours were almost cut to pieces. This job will never be blotted from my memory. Although I am now an old man, I remember it as if it had been yesterday. I had not been there more than a quarter of an hour when a cannon shot came and took the captain's head clean off. Well, that is a bad day at the office. Although they did win the battle, so. While it was a very dangerous task protecting those colours, one man actually survived because of it. It's an interesting story. Let's fast forward to the Battle of Gandamak in Afghanistan in 1842 during that disastrous British retreat from Kabul. Only five British soldiers survived the battle. One of them was Lieutenant Thomas Souter of the 44th East Kent Foot. Guess how he survived? Well, to protect those colours, he wrapped it around himself under his jacket And when the Afghans saw the bright yellow silk, they mistook him for a man of great importance and took him prisoner rather than killing him. An incredible stroke of good luck brought about by his bravery. While there was great risk, there was, of course, always that potential for great reward. And that led to some strange stories like that of Colour Sergeant Paul Field Davis of the Grenadier Guards. At the Battle of Inkerman in November 1854, reports emerged of the valiant defence of the colours by the sergeant and of close combat with several Russian soldiers to defend them. The press got hold of the story from Davis and ran with it. He was sent gifts and letters of congratulation and was recommended by people for awards and honours. As the story grew, even such things as commemorative mugs started to appear showing Davies' heroic defence. The only problem was, it was all a pack of lies. It wasn't true, it didn't happen. It appears that Davies actually missed most of the battle, now I've heard two reasons for this. One, he was sick himself, and two, he'd stayed behind with a wounded officer. Either way, he wasn't there and he certainly wasn't smashing Ruskies with the, with the pole. It gets a little confusing, but between 1756 and 1880, colours were lost 30 times in battle, although sometimes they were recaptured. Some unlucky regiments, such as the 7th, 43rd, 66th and 24th, lost their colours in two different battles. The 24th, 2nd Warwickshire's, or later as they became known, the South Wales Borderers, lost a colour fighting the Sikhs at Chilean Walla in January 1849, and then again against the Zulus at Isandlwana in January 1879, almost exactly 30 years oh, later. It's time to save the colours. Get a ward stripped, you must warn them. Though the 1st Battalion's colours were saved by the Dash Across the Fugitives Trail by Lieutenants Melville and Coghill. We've discussed that on this show before and we're going to go do so again in the future. So watch this space. But The Zulu War was 1879 and the day of carrying colours into the battle was slowly beginning to wind down. It was even debated in Parliament if it was a good idea. And that debate was reignited once again after the loss of the colours of the 66th Berkshire Foot at the Battle of Maywand in July 1880 during the Second Anglo-Afghan War. Whilst this was the last time a British colour was lost in battle, it wasn't the last time they were carried into action. That occurred here at Langs Neck in January 1881 during the First Anglo-Boer War. A war that saw the British lose every pitched battle to those wily Dutch farmers. Such was the ferocity of the fire around the colours of the 58th Rutlandshire Regiments afoot that they were actually carried to the rear during the action. And that was a very sensible thing to do because they were a massive target. And if you're a great Boer marksman as most of them were, what are you going to try and shoot at? We're talking about an era now where the accuracy of rifles meant that the colors day on the battlefield had to be over. These days the most notable occasion on which colors are seen is the annual trooping of the color on horse guards parade to mark the sovereign's birthday. But regimental colours retain their importance as a physical reminder of the honour of the regiment and all the men who have served under them. Perhaps the final word on colours should go to Lieutenant Bailey of the 58th Rutland Shears at the Battle of Lang's Neck, remarked when seriously wounded, never mind me, save the colours. That is a man worthy of our respect. By the way, guys, just quickly at the end here, just want to say a special thanks to Christopher Bryce, Dr. Christopher Bryce, who helped to write, research and write that episode. He's a great guy and I'm really, really pleased with it. Thank you to him.